Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 18th, 2021, including Outriders is coming to Game Pass on launch day, tons of Bethesda games hit Game Pass this week, new details on Halo Infinite Sandbox emerge, and more. Welcome to another week of Xbox On. I'm sitting here in my bedroom podcasting from the little sewing table because my girlfriend is working at the computer desk, but that's okay because I'm in a great mood this week. I'm sitting here recording with my left arm really, really sore, but not sore in the disgusting perverted way, sore in the I just got my COVID vaccine kind of way. So I don't want to bring that up to brag, you know, for all those uh, because I know there are many, many people out there who would love to have a COVID vaccine as soon as possible and just simply don't have access because of certain restrictions, the state you live in, you know, the place you live in and a multitude of factor factors, age, whatever it may be. But I want to just give a shout out to my friend Hunter earlier this week, got tipped off about some Walmart locations that were, you know, giving out extra vaccines that were otherwise going to go to waste and, and kind of tip me off on some places to check out. So I spent the first half of the week kind of just going to Walmarts and after work every day and seeing what I could do. And, uh, on the second, you know, on my second day of trying, I was able to find a Walmart location that basically just pushed me right through the process and got me the COVID vaccine. I was expecting them to put me on a wait list that would maybe expedite the process of getting a COVID vaccine by a couple of weeks to a month, but no, they, they actually literally just vaccinated me right there on the spot. So I'm extremely just grateful to have, you know, that first vaccine down automatically locks me in for my second one. And that just means, you know, one step closer to, at the very least, just having that comfort that that things are a little more okay. So I'm feeling great about that. Actually, the the funny thing and the and the bigger reason why I want to bring this up, other than my arm being sore, is actually because so on Tuesday this past week, as many of you know, the new Xbox wireless headset was released by Microsoft, and those things have been super hard to get since, since the moment they were announced. They've been sold out on pre-orders. It looks like, you know, anecdotally, from what I've seen, a lot of you who listen to the show actually managed to get your pre-orders, so really happy for those of you that did, but uh, I know there are also many, many people like myself who were not able to get a pre-order because I, I didn't even see the announcement until like four hours after it happened because I was just having a busy day at work that day, and so... I was thinking, you know, okay, maybe the day the headset comes out, I'll, I'll like, you know, I get out of work a little earlier than most. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump over to a couple Best Buy stores and shit on my way home, just because, you know, I, I work very far away from my apartment, so I pass many a Best Buy and a Target on, on my commute. So I was like, okay, I'll just hit up a couple stores on my way home and maybe, maybe get lucky and, you know, come across one. So that was the plan. But then literally last minute, about 30 minutes before I left work on Tuesday, I got a, another update text from my friend Hunter and one from my girlfriend as well, who were tipping me off to a couple Walmart locations that it might be worth a try. So I was like, you know what? As much as I love this Xbox headset, I think it's probably a lot more responsible and important that I try to get this COVID vaccine. So I, I dropped everything and went and did that. And I'm, I'm glad I did because not only was I successful in getting my COVID vaccine, I think it's just the more responsible just like choice between the two things. But I, I bring this up to say, 
the reason why I'm not going to be reviewing or talking about the Xbox wireless headset this week is because I don't have one, but instead I got a COVID vaccine. So, you know, suck it head headset users. Uh, no, but all, all joking aside, you know, that's just got me in a great mood, uh, this week. I'm just feeling really, really grateful for that. Uh, shout out to the man that put a needle in my arm. He's a very nice guy and I appreciate you know, that a little tip for those of you who maybe are looking to try and get your vaccine early. I just want to point out, it looks like this is a, a common thing with Walmarts around the country. You know, if you're in the, if you're in the States, maybe just uh, contact your local Walmart or stop by or try to book online and see what you can get. Uh, my sister who lives in Atlanta was still able to get a, an appointment booked with a local Walmart where she lives. So she's going to get her vaccine on Monday. So if you're, if you're eager to get poked with a needle, I would suggest maybe, uh, doing some research on your local Walmart if you're living in the States and see what you can get. Um, but to those of you elsewhere who are looking to get the vaccine, I hope you were able to get vaccinated as soon as possible and that you know, you're know you able to get that comfort and peace of mind. But anyway, with that said, I think this is an Xbox podcast, so maybe we should stop talking about getting vaccinated and maybe, maybe jump into a little bit of um, Xbox news. But first, before we do our corrections, comments, things that we generally start the show with, I wanted to pose a question to you, the audience, uh, and I think this is something that many of you will find to be quite relevant and pertinent to the topic of the show, but I, I was listening to a podcast this week. It- it's a retro nostalgia podcast. So that's how the host describes it. It's called, uh, it's called Knockback, and it's it's this podcast uh, that actually Colin Moriarty does with his brother, uh, where they basically just like pick topics you know, about childhood, and they kind of reminisce and, and discuss these things and with like a kind of nostalgic lens. It's a really fun show, and it can be anything from like a specific like movie from the 80s or like a specific like concept. So it could be like an episode about Star Wars Episode 5, or it could be an uh, episode about like uh, first dates or something like that, or like hanging out at the mall with friends. It can be any kind of vague concept that one might associate with like their childhood or their upbringing. It's a really fun show. But uh, their, their latest episode this past week was about, you know, the movie theater, like the experience of going to the movie theater growing up. They got into the debate of, you know, what do you eat at the movie theaters or what is appropriate food uh, to eat at the movie theaters? And and I, I really enjoyed that topic of discussion so much, I thought I would ape that uh, that conversation, try to move it on over to our show so we could have this conversation. Because I just want to say, growing up, I, I definitely, you know, I came from a pretty large family, not a very wealthy family. So for us, going to the movie theater was not only just a rare treat, but also when we did, it was very much one of those, like, we're not spending money on popcorn and soda at the concession stands. That shit's expensive. There's a lot of kids. So we were definitely the sneak a bunch of candy from the grocery store in mom's purse kind of family uh, growing up. Um, it was either that or no concessions at all for the most part. Throughout my childhood, I have very, very few memories of like actually getting stuff from the concessions. So that was kind of my upbringing. I feel like the way that affected me into adulthood is now that I am older and when I go to the movie theaters, it's obviously much more affordable than it was for my parents because I don't have to take a billion kids. I can just go by myself or go with a friend or go with my girlfriend. So it's far more affordable and accessible for me uh, that I am I am able to you know indulge if I want to get some popcorn or some bunch of crunch and throw those bitches in the popcorn or something like that. But what I what I realize is because you know I just I never really built the habit for the most part you know throughout my movie going experience of of leaning on concessions. It's not something I I typically gravitate to. I notice especially if I go to a movie by myself, which I really love. I love going to the theater by by yourself, but 
I've noticed, like, especially if I go to a movie alone, I I don't even think about the concession stand, which is surprising because I never stop thinking about eating. It's literally all I give a shit about. So that, this is this surprises me as well. But I've noticed I'm the kind of person who will just walk right past the concession stand, not think twice about it, and go watch my movie alone. Especially if it's like, like to to me, the other thing is like if you're gonna eat while you watch a movie, I want it to be like like a fun movie. If it's like a action movie or a blockbuster movie or like a family animated film or something like that, something that's very lighthearted and in you know just kind of fun in tone, then yeah, I can I could I could see why you do the popcorn, the soda and all that. But especially if like if I'm going to the movies to watch like like a drama, like something that I'm anticipating that is going to make me cry, I don't understand like how you could just sit there like gorging and like butter and popcorn and slurping down a coca-cola while like you know someone's dying on screen and you're being like emotionally torn apart from fucking titanic or whatever it is you're watching so that's another thing of mine is like i think when you when you eat food at the theater it's got to be very specific to the kind of movie you're watching especially you know more specifically whatever genre you're you're in attendance for so these are just some things I want to put out there. What are what are some of the foods and and traditions you guys may have, you know, with the theaters, with the whole food, the entire food situation? Uh, are you guys the smugglers who bring the candies from the grocery store in through your through someone's bag, or are you a I'll pay for concessions kind of person, or are you a I'm not gonna really spend any money because I just, I, I don't want to eat while I watch a movie. Where, where do you fall? What are some of your anecdotes or traditions? I'd love to hear them. I will say the older, the more and more, you know, throughout my high school years up now into my adult years, I realized the more I go with like friends or girlfriends or whatever, the more inclined I am to spend money at the concession stands. Cause I realize I have I'll, like, I'll go with a friend who like, that is a normal thing for them to go to the concession stand or like, like I remember, you know, I, I've had I've had some friends throughout, throughout time who are just like I cannot go to the theater without getting a bag of popcorn. I've had one friend who was one of those, dare I say, Nazis, uh, who would be like, "Hey, I gotta get fucking nachos at the concession stand every time I go to the theater for some stupid ass reason." He was a nacho guy, and I think I'm pretty sure that constitutes as as a Nazi, someone who's willing to make loud crunching sounds and try to eat chips and dip in the middle of a fucking movie. So please, please write in, let me know where you stand on this and in some of your experiences. And we'll discuss that next week. Now with that out of the way, I guess we can get to our corrections and things like that. We only have two quick ones to get in. It's not really corrections, but just follow-ups if, if you will now follow-ups and well, I guess one rumor to comment on. So let's start with the rumor thing. Windows central reported earlier this week that apparently Xbox is thinking about or, or planning a gaming event for March 26, which is next week. And, you know, Aaron Greenberg and some other people at Microsoft and Xbox were like pretty quick to shoot this down and say, no, next Friday, March 26, we are not having an Xbox game event or anything like that. Do not do not look forward to this. This is not happening. So they were pretty quick to shut that down. But I did see Windows Central, along with some other sites, kind of run with this story. So just want to put that out there. Uh, I guess anything is possible, but it seems like this isn't a thing. Just maybe some false information that was spread or some misinterpretation perhaps, but just want to put it out there to let you know it, it, I did mention it. So if, if we were all caught off guard and next week, they have a beautiful presentation where they show us uh, videos of PlayStation two games that they mistaken for the next Forza and next Gears of war entry. And they're like, Oh yeah, here's some new Xbox series X content. We're just like, 
Xbox, go home, you're drunk. Remember that meme? And then, I don't know. But I just want to put it out there. It's it, Apparently, it's a thing that's, that's being talked about. Now, the other thing I want to do is a, is a follow-up, hopefully a final, I think a, fo- a final follow-up, on the story of, of Troy Leavitt, who worked at Avalanche Software uh, for WB Games, working on the new Hogwarts Legacy game. Um, he finally released, you know, he was the guy who's been in the news over all the quote-unquote controversy because he had a uh, a YouTube page that some uh, bullshit journalists were deeming as like alt-right or far-right because he had some Gamergate-related videos and like a video titled In Defense of John Lasseter, which is a pretty controversial title, but I think once you watch the video, you'll understand where he's coming from. Although I didn't personally agree with what he had to say in that video, I thought his points were pretty well defended and his argument was, while not something I take, it's something I at least respect enough to not think, okay, this guy's a fucking misogynist or some like rape apologist because that's simply not the kind of content this man's putting out he's putting out very very tame (laughs) very calculated and measured kind of content um and and keep in mind most of these videos are like years old and it it really isn't anything crazy or wild i'm pretty sure you could be anywhere on the uh, spectrum of where you stand on these topics and be pretty unoffended if you watch his videos they're they're not like reactionary social commentary videos. They are, they're pretty like, again, like I said, just tame. And I I don't know how to put it. It's just, his videos are not that crazy. I watched a handful of them and I really didn't find myself being aghast at what he had to say. And so he, he uploaded a new video for the first time in a long time on his channel, uh, which was basically a presentation he did at Avalanche Software right before he resigned from his role, explaining that he was not leaving the company and not leaving the Hogwarts Legacy project um, due to any quote-unquote cancellation or being canceled or anything like that, but rather because it was actually uh, personal family reasons. Um, the kind of timing was just unfortunate, but he's uh, decided to step down because of uh, some family medical issues, and he's moved from Utah over to Arizona, and things like that. So it's it's kind of unrelated, but the timing was just unfortunate enough that it it looked like this was the case. Uh, but I, I will say, watch like watch the video if you have any. If you're raising an eyebrow, saying Jesse, are you are you sitting here trying to defend this alt right neocon or something like that? I'll be like, no, no, man, just w- watch any of his videos. Watch his latest video, whatever. Like this guy is a <laughs> this guy is a pretty like measured, controlled, well worded, well defended person who's just you know just putting some putting some opinions out there in a very non-offensive and a very respectful manner um, that frankly makes me wish this is how we could talk about more things where just people have different opinions and different takes on situations and we just have constructive conversations and we share our opinions and we challenge our ideas and thoughts but unfortunately that's not how the world works so we just have to see YouTube thumbnails and headlines from three-year-old videos and then try to cancel people just to put it out there was that is the popular YouTuber um, did you know gaming? It was that guy who first found this channel and tried to put it out there on Twitter saying, I'm not trying to cancel anyone, but look at this guy and then try to spark all this bullshit. And then websites like Polygon and Kotaku and, and, and the like, were all posting about how this guy was some alt-right fringe character. And then none of them ever attracted their stories or ever posted update stories saying, Oh, well, it looks like this is the real reason why he's leaving the studio or this is what really happened. None of them ever, ever apologized. It was, Pretty slanderous content, to be honest, and there's a really non-story that ended up being a big deal for absolutely nothing, but I'm sure there maybe is a little more to this. I'm sure WB may be a little happy that he's gone, not because they don't agree with him or they don't like him, per se, but maybe because 
They don't want the negative press surrounding Hogwarts Legacy already considering the fact that J.K. Rowling is, you know, in the in the spotlight so much these days for some controversial takes and opinions. So to not com- compound that situation and make things even worse, I think uh, WB might be a little just uh, relieved to see some of that association shut off a little bit because, you know, otherwise... You know, if he stays at the studio and the J.K. Rowling stuff keeps going on, this is never going to be, you know, from the perspective of YouTube commentators and and news media outlets, this game will never be a game about, like, what is Hogwarts Legacy? Like, is this a fun game? What is this game like? Is it a cool game? Is it a game that Harry Potter fans should check out? Is it a game that people who like RPG games will like? The conversation will never be about that. It will always be about this controversial developer, this this J.K. Rowling bullshit going on. It's always going to be about that, and it's always going to muddy the message of the game, uh, which honestly might just result in more sales because you know there's you know the saying there's no such thing as bad press. But still, I mean, you don't you don't want that. There's hundreds of developers pouring their their hearts and souls into making this game right now, and the last thing they deserve is to have you know, all their hard work ripped away from them because two figures vaguely associated with the product, you know, get to control the messaging, whether it be their fault or not. And the, and that's in the case of Troy Leavitt saying, I don't, I don't think what he did was a fireable offense in any way, shape or form. And I really just encourage you, if you're interested in this in any way or want to make a, a judgment or a conclusion for yourself, just go ahead and watch Troy Leavitt's uh, video explaining why he left Avalanche and why he left Hogwarts Legacy. I think it's a pretty interesting watch. It's about 15-minute video, and uh, it's, again, I think the most, the biggest takeaway from it is just how controlled and measured and tempered and well-defended he is. It's not it's not a whole, like, oh, these bullshit journalists just trying to cancel people. It's it's not that at all. It's a very, like, hey, I understand why you may think this. This is what's going on in my life. It's just a very, I don't know, it's a very adult and just natural way and just toned down, not jazzed up like a fucking uh, MTV sitcom kind of reality TV situation. It's just a very... Like, this is what's going on kind of thing. And I wish it's how we could have conversations uh, more these days. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. But yeah, I I recommend you take a look at that. But with that said, guys, let's get all that crap out of the way. We're going to jump into the comments and shout outs from YouTube. Remember, if you ever want to leave a comment on Xbox On, you go over to YouTube.com. You look up Second Best Gaming. That's my channel. You look up the Xbox On podcast playlist. You'll see it there. Leave a comment on the latest episode and you'll probably get right on the air because that's, that's how we do this. So we're going to start this week, you know, with some Xbox-related comments. But first, a very late-breaking, important news topic from our friends over at The Bell. Uh, Lethal Migraine wrote in says, Got a great email today. The best-tasting food science experiment restaurant's next creation is the Quesalupa. I'm excited. Mr. Miggy writes in and says, Jesse, this is an Xbox podcast, meaning you have to talk about politics, blah, 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 regardless whether we want to listen or not. Uh, Outbreak is much better than with friends. Taco Bell brought back the quesalupa. Sadly, they didn't bring back the breakfast version. Count Scotula, by the way, needs to release those albums to us so I can listen to them in my car. I agree, Mr. Miggy. Count Scotula, the audience wants your awesome music. Please release it to them. Please put your music in them. And Joe Murphy writes in and says, Thanks for episode 92.5. Game Pass is the best. I want to play so many games. I need more time and days to play more games. But I went to Taco Bell the other day, and I saw that they had a new double-decker-like taco. So I got all three different ones and they and had all of them with a large Mountain Dew to drink. 
McDonald's new spicy chicken sandwich sucks ass. Don't try it. Take care. All right. It's a little bit of a jumbled mess, but I think the main takeaway here is the uh, quesalupa is back. Now, admittedly, I don't remember what the quesalupa was like. I almost definitely had it when it came out back in, I think it was like 2016, but I uh, I don't remember what it was like. So I'm really excited to give this thing a try. I'm thinking about trying today, but I just, you know, with the diet and the calorie counting and all that, I'm trying to figure out a day where it makes sense to go out and try this thing. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So I will report back to you guys once I've had one. But, you know, Mr. Miggy here is really excited for it. Lethal Migraine's even excited, and he's never positive about anything. And Joe's over here being excited. And, uh, you know, Joe, Joe's over here not only talking about Game Pass being awesome and having so much content and, and Taco Bell bringing back the quesalupa, but Joe also then just throws in a little slight just to make things controversial and says, McDonald's new spicy chicken sandwich sucks ass. Don't try it. Take care. Joe, I had the McDonald's chicken sandwich, the new one. I had the spicy. I had the deluxe. I had the classic. I got to be honest with you. Does not suck ass. It's not Chick-fil-A good. It's not Popeye's good, but it's good. It's, it's pretty damn good, I would argue. I, I had all three of them. All three of them are good. Now, I'd say the spicy is number two. I think the deluxe was better than the spicy. But I, I can understand how you might be put off because the spicy the spicy sauce has almost like a like a Japanese like mayo kind of flavor to it, which is a little odd. But I actually liked that. It kind of tastes like fucking spicy mayo that you eat on a sushi roll or something. But I, I was into it, man. I, don't, don't be shitting on the McDonald's, okay? It's Taco Bell's moment here with the quesalupa, but no need to bring McDonald's down to the dirt over it, okay? Now, next up, uh, this co- new commenter uh, that I I hope is not a bot account, uh, but the name is all in Russian, and the thumb the, the picture is um, some guy with red hair. says, dude, I love you. You are the most entertaining person I listen to. Keep up the w- good work. Can't wait till next week. Well, I, I'm sorry, I would really love to pronounce your name, but I cannot read these characters, and I don't mean to be mean when I say that. I just I just simply am too ignorant, too unknowing to do that, but I do appreciate the comment nonetheless. Now, next up, we're going to get into some Halo comments. Wes H. says, and remember, Wes is the guy who's playing through the Halo games and said 2 is better than 3. First run through of the games, and you said 2 is better than 3. So you're already on thin ice, Wes, but let's see what you got to say this week. You say, man, I'm loving Halo 4. For all the people I have heard whine and complain about 343, changing the way the game looks, sounds, etc., they can get over themselves. It's a good freaking game. I also hate the phrase, it's a good game, just not a good Halo game. Uh, Assassin's Creed game, Fallout game, etc. Long story short, games evolve and I'm glad they do. Well, Wes, I think that's a great point and uh, I think you earned yourself a little bit of redemption this week because although you were more of a Halo 2 guy than a Halo 3 guy, I do respect you at least appreciating Halo 4 and and giving some room in your heart for what 343 has created. And I agree. I agree that franchises need to evolve. And I agree that for the most part, Halo 4 evolves in some pretty good ways. Although I I will say I'm not crazy about the equipment stuff in Halo 4. I wish it was a little more like Halo 3's equipment and less like reaches. And I will say, you know, I, I understand the controversy about the multiplayer loadouts and orbital drops and things like that. But for the most part, Halo 4 is a great game that I, I argue from a gameplay standpoint, ages just as well as any other Halo. I still play Halo 4 multiplayer just as much as I play Halo 2 or 3. So, actually, I probably play more than 2. I probably play Halos 3 and 4 the most multiplayer-wise when I'm on the Master Chief Collection. But, of course, 
Halo 5's got a big old soft spot for me. It's probably the one I play the most overall. But anyway, I'm glad to hear that, Wes. Thank you for uh, redeeming yourself a little bit when it comes to the Halo. And Count Skyla, continuing with our Halo, says, On a side note, the newest Ask343 video came out tonight. It confirmed that's all PNW styling. Oh, Pacific Northwest. They confirmed that it's all Pacific Northwest styling, but they have sub-biomes within Pacific Northwest swamps, deadlands, cave systems. I can live with that, but I'm a little leery. Several other bits of info from that video set off an atomic bomb with part of the Halo community, but it got me excited. I love these super nerdy deep dives and cannot wait for more Halo Infinite. Now, Count Skyla, this is touching on one of our big news stories of the week, and I probably should put this comment with the news story, but here we are talking about it now anyway. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think I think these deep dives that are super nerdy and specific are really, really awesome, especially for big Halo fans that are just dying for this game. Obviously, that's what they're intended for. But, uh, I, and I agree with you about the Pacific Northwest thing too. It's, you know, the question during the Ask 343 video was, you know, obviously the gameplay demo we've seen of Halo Infinite looks like it's really set specifically in the Pacific Northwest type setting, which is what the Halo Zeta ring looks like. But what about, you know, like deserts and snowy levels and things like that, which we're used to seeing in Halo games. Like, what about that? And their, their response was basically like, we wanted to keep the the kind of ring feeling consistent in theme. So there will be areas of the ring that are like a little swampy, a little deserty or cavey like, but it's not going to feel like, wow, I'm in a different, you know, like the last level was a green level. The next level is a sand level. The next level is a water level. It's not going to feel like Super Mario Bros in that sense is what they were saying. Uh, But they're going to say you'll get touches of those kinds of different biomes, but they'll all be a subset or a a mix up, a a re-theme, if you will, of the main biome, which is that, you know, grass, that Pacific Northwest woodsy, foresty kind of look that that the Halo ring has as seen in that gameplay demo in these screenshots revealed so far. So I, I'm a little iffy on that as well, but I, I think I think that's one of those things where we got to kind of see it to, to really pass judgment on it. You know, I think the bigger thing is just making sure that the game feels varied, not so much that it ticks the boxes of having this kind of environment, this kind of environment. So as long as these sub biomes, as they put it, feel you know, distinctive enough that I feel like there's a lot of biological and, you know, biodiversity, then I'll, I'll be, I'll be good with it. So, but yeah, I agree. That was a pretty good video overall. We'll, we'll get into that later in the news, but next, uh, if for comments, we've got some, a couple of you commenting about the outro changes on the podcast. So as Count Scott says, before I listened to this week's podcast, I was thinking that your outro should be not a communist dictatorship that's only half shitting on your childhood. But after listening to this week's message, I think it's already clearly conveyed. Maybe just wrap up the show each week with, I'm going to Disney World. All right, that's what Count Scott says. But Sarugi says, I feel utterly betrayed by that anecdote. You had a, you had a perfect, you had to perfect set, you had the perfect setup with the soda aisle for PepsiCo is life, but you blew it, man. And you're talking, of course, about, you know, the story about Jeremiah, may you rest in peace. I don't know what to tell you guys. I always say power your dreams. It's the it's the Xbox thing. I, I didn't realize there was such a problem with it. So, I, again, I am still open-minded to changing it. But I don't want to say, you know, with all due respect, Count Skyla, I don't want to say I'm going to Disney World because, frankly, I'm not going to Disney World. So why would I want to lie to the audience? Like, sometimes I go to Disney World, but... I never go to Disney World on Wednesday night when I'm done recording the show. I never go to Disney World Thursday morning after the show goes live. I'm at my job during that time. So Count Skyla, even though I love that 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 wrap-up because I'd love to be going to Disney World, the fact of the matter is what you're asking me to do here is lie to the audience and say, 
oh, I'm going to Disney World. So you guys all have in your mind, you know, oh, well, Jesse recorded that on Wednesday night. So by the time I'm listening to this, he's probably at Disney World or he was at Disney World last night. But that's not true at all. In fact, after I do the show, I stay up real late. I edit it. I upload it. I put it all together. And then I go to bed. And then I wake up and go to work. So you want me to lie about my life and pretend it's all glamorous and it's all theme parks and churros and roller coasters when in reality it's 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 hard late night editing and going to my day job. It's Count Skyla. I'm I, I love you, man. I, I appreciate your support and your awesome music, but I'm just not going to lie to the audience as you're asking me to do. So please. And Sarugi, I'm I'm not totally opposed to the PepsiCo's life thing. I feel like it's a good foundation, but there's something more we can do with that, which is why I reached out to the audience last week and said, what do you guys think we could do with that outro? Because, you know, yeah, PepsiCo's life, but Taco Bell's life. Are you going to say PepsiCo's more life than Taco Bell? Are you going to say PepsiCo's more life than the uh, great release of taking a dump after a long day of work and getting home? Are you going to say PepsiCo's life more so than the feeling of uh, sitting down and booting up your Xbox after, after you know, after a long day of doing taxes and other adult chores like grocery shopping and cleaning the oven, I just, I just feel like it's a very one-sided kind of outro. Power your dreams is so vague, it's so so specific. I'm telling you, I'm telling you to take to power your dreams. I'm telling you to find what it is you want to do, find what it is you love, and and put the power to it, make it happen. You know, I'm giving you the tools. I'm giving you hopefully what you need in order to get what you need to get done, done, but man, I mean, come on guys, you want me to lie to the audience and pretend like PepsiCo is all there is to life, and I just, I just don't know about that, so as we get into the later comments here, guys, some, some of you thought that the comment section was all about leaving me some, uh, some lengthy novellas, borderline just straight up novels, so we'll kind of skim through some of these, but my brother writes in and says, I don't think Obsidian should or will delay anything to help Bethesda. If someone needs to help them, it's other Max Studios. Obsidian seems to be being built up like a giant, like the Coalition or 343. I want to see that happen. If Avowed is successful, uh, we could have the next Bethesda on our hands. So, yeah, that's kind of true, but also part of the whole like sharing assets and, sh- and sharing talent is, you know, steeped in them all joining as one with Bethesda joining Xbox. So it makes sense for them to be able to have traditionally Xbox Studios reach out and work with traditionally Bethesda Studios, but I get what you're saying, and I think for the most part it will be Bethesda or ZeniMax Studios helping other ZeniMax Studios game projects, but I don't know, it'd be cool to see what some of these Xbox teams could do when when they kind of lend some talent to the next Fallout or the next Wolfenstein, so I don't know, I'm not going to write that off. Now Sam Torres here... You know, you write a chunky one. You say, like I said, we'll skim through this. So, Jesse, you did double duty this week, of course, referring to episodes 92 92.5. Lots of great assessments, and I firmly see your point on Bethesda. We are in a great place as Xbox fans. I, f- I totally feel exclusivity has robbed too many gamers uh, on this side of the fence to great content for far too long. And Phil's comments seem fairly clear that he wants all players to see what these studios can do with the proper backing. Why keep the next Elder Scrolls exclusive? When it has the potential to be the biggest ever. I've matured enough to not care if PlayStation gamers are playing the games that we that were exclusive to Xbox. I see brand I see brand loyalty as more of when you want to enjoy the best game, you are assured great content on Xbox for a great price. To your point about the OG Xbox being 
so different from its competitors of the time and how it seems to be returning to this gen. Yeah, glad you see that and shared that. Excellent observation. We'd be very lucky to see the boldness. We'd be very lucky to see that boldness return to the brand. The excitement it is creating is tangible. It would be amazing to see the talent of Xbox Studios develop a pool of the best creators to task from Obsidian, Rare, Arcane, etc. And we, the happy Xbox Game Pass subscribers, get something new and amazing every four to six months for the foreseeable future. Keep up the excellent show. Thanks for sharing. And with that, I want to pair that one with this shorter comment from Flips Mad Mad Max, who says, to be honest, I don't care where these games go, but I just hope it doesn't devalue uh, getting the Xbox. They need to make the... They need to make at least Starfield exclusive since it's a new IP and hasn't been made before. So here are kind of two similar but kind of different approaches to the exclusivity thing. I want to make something clear, and I want to use these two comments as a launching point to say, I've seen so many Xbox fans get really kind of nasty lately over this Bethesda thing as like a kind of suck it PlayStation, you suck, we rock, we got this, you don't have it. And I just want to make something very, very clear. I, I I would be lying to you if I said I don't know why you care whether things are exclusive or not i get that i get that kind of that you know you're so associated with the brand and you have so much fondness for a brand that you want to see it succeed and so when you see playstation and their success and you know just the way video games have traditionally gone forever you you think about well what makes sony successful or what makes nintendo successful and you're like well it's because nintendo has like mario and zelda and animal crossing and pokemon and no one else does and you're like, and PlayStation has Assassin's, or PlayStation has Uncharted and God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn and all these games, and no one else does. And you're like, well, Xbox has been kind of in a slump for a while. And like, what made Xbox so great? It's like, well, Xbox had Halo and Gears of War and all these games back in their prime, and no one else had those. That was so Xbox. And Xbox Live was such a pioneering system and or service rather, and all these things. And and you think about what makes these brands so special and it's the things that they have that others don't. But the thing is, I feel like that's, that's how we establish these brands. You know, it's like, that's how you get Xbox off the ground is you say, Hey, here's Microsoft making a video game console. Why are you supposed to care about this? Uh, well, because Xbox live and halo and sure that works for a while when these brands are new and trying to establish themselves. But Xbox is a mature brand at this point. We don't, we don't need halo to be, landlocked to xbox in order for us to enjoy xbox we know what makes the platform special and it's not the fact that other people can't play our games like that we we've built the community around the about around the box and the online service and the games but what's important isn't that we've gatekeep these experiences from others and so i i just want to use this as a jumping off point that Regardless of what Xbox does with Bethesda, which games are totally exclusive, which games are partially exclusive, and which games are multi-platform, regardless of how this all plays out, you know, in 10 years when we've had a handful of examples to look back on and and, and retroactively reevaluate this situation, I I just want to say, like, no matter how that plays out, what matters is what games are, what are these games going to be like, you know? You think about a game like Fallout 4 that came out and was like, oh, it's like, more Fallout 3. It's kind of disappointing, right? Or you think about a game like Fallout 76, which came out, it's like, this game's like borderline broken. No one no one wants this shit. Or you think about a game like uh, uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood, and you're like, this isn't even Wolfenstein. Why the fuck did they push this out? And you think, well, what's something that all these games have in common? It has that kind of like, we need to push shit out and get more revenue off of these properties. And there's not a whole lot of like, 
reinventing the wheel or like real depth and polish to these experiences. They're just kind of in some cases pushed out in some cases, safe sequels in some case, you know, whatever it may be. And I think a huge way that these studios can benefit from being part of team Xbox is now, next time you have a fallout 76, you can have like the triple a big backing of a company like Microsoft to say, Hey, no, 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 we're not going to release this in a broken state. We're going to Halo Infinite this game. We're going to give it a massive delay and disappoint the fuck out of people because we know you're not supposed to release a game in that state. And the next time they have a Fallout 4, they're going to say, no, 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 dream bigger. Here's more support for more studios to make this game more ambitious. Here's more money. Here's more time. And and then you make Fallout 4 something that's more advanced and more evolved from what Fallout 3 was. And you have a game like Wolfenstein and Youngblood, and it's like, listen, listen, listen. We don't need you to try and turn Wolfenstein into this like quasi games as a service with light RPG mechanic type bullshit just because it's a popular genre and we need to get into it. It's like, let Wolfenstein be Wolfenstein. You guys make what it is you want to make. And we have other studios that can do that kind of experimental shit. And that's the big benefit of Bethesda being with Xbox is that they can take the extra time, take the extra money, have the extra development hands and talent to make what they want to make and make it the fullest experience. And I think that's what we should be excited about is that now that Bethesda is aligned with Xbox, sure, it makes Xbox look more appealing as a brand. It makes Game Pass a way better deal and value for all of us on Xbox. So yeah, if you're looking at it from a what do we get that these guys don't have perspective, yeah, there's stuff to be excited about for sure. But more importantly, it's that the quality of these games is going to get better the opportunity for these studios to make more interesting and unique games is going to get better. And that's the real win for Xbox and the real win for gamers. At the end of the day, I don't give a shit if PlayStation people can play the games I'm playing on my Xbox. I just want my Xbox to continue to be a great place for me to play my games. So I think we need to, we need to work hard. I understand you know, the historical kind of way we've been programmed as gamers to think about exclusives. And that's everything that makes a brand, you know, live or die. And I think we need to take the initiative to try and not let that matter as much to us because, you know, Xbox has always been, I think the gaming brand that's really, you know, outside of Sega when they were making consoles, the gaming brand that really redefines how the industry works. Think about it. Like Nintendo makes wacky controllers. They'll try to make you fucking put a, a condom on with a motion sensor and wiggle around to play a fucking Zelda game if you let them. But that's not innovation. It's just kind of like fun and gimmicky. Xbox is the, is the, is the gaming brand. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to just make another console with more power and that's it. We're going to make online gaming a thing. And we're going to make games about like these subscription services. So gamers have more access to different kinds of games and we can reevaluate what, a game should be based on, you know, budget and quality and price and accessibility and all these factors. And that's, I think what makes Xbox the most special, honestly, is that they've redefined or they have changed the game so many times in so many ways. And that's, I'd argue more important than Halo, more important than them trying to keep up with PlayStation by having more awesome exclusives. Because at the end of the day, it's like PlayStation didn't popularize online gaming playstation 2 is not the reason why we all play games online with microphones to our faces talking to our friends from halfway across the world making great memories in halo forge that doesn't happen because playstation 2 spearheaded that that happens because xbox and because xbox live and that's what makes xbox really special and i think the 
biggest benefit to Game Pass that people are really failing to understand here is that one of the biggest hindrances to game development for the longest time has been the market tier of pricing. And what I mean by that is this idea that like a AAA game is $60. A budget game is $20 to $40 in, in these kinds of things. So like when you see the next big Halo game, you know that's a $60 game. When you see the next like Disney Pixar movie tie-in game, you're like, that's a $40, $50 game. When you see the next indie 16-bit game, you go, that's a $20 to $30 game because we've been conditioned to think this is what games cost. And the reason why that's bad is because eventually what it does is it limits the developer to saying, okay, I can't make a game this ambitious because I can only sell it for this price or I can't get away with charging this price point for a game of this experience because I don't think gamers will value the amount of content in it. But with Game Pass, with removing the barrier to entry, the price point associated with the specific game, you can make any game. And that's what has me super excited is now Bethesda doesn't have to think about a property like Fallout as this massive single-player open-world RPG game. And they can think about it in a million ways. They can make a Fallout 5 that is another open world, massive single player RPG. They could, but they could also fucking make a fallout game. That's like a walking simulator or a fallout game. That's like, like some weird graphic novel game, or they can make a fallout game. That's like a fucking dating sim. And these are just hypotheticals. But what I mean by that is to say they can do anything they want with a property. And now people don't have to go, Oh, well that's not a real fallout game. Cause it's a stupid, it's like a, Oh, you know, not a real fallout game would be $60 and would look like this. But game pass removes all that, all that stigma and all that hindrance because it's just like, here's more content for the service you subscribe to. Perfect example of this, I think, would be Disney+. Plus. I think Disney's done an amazing job, actually, of, of destroying this barrier in the world of, like, movies and TV. You think about something like the recent show WandaVision or The Mandalorian, which we've been talking about in the show, and people look at, like, WandaVision or Mandalorian with the production level that those shows have, how amazing they look and how well they're written and produced and acted and everything, and no one looks at WandaVision and says, well, you know, like... When a new Mar- when Black Widow hits theaters, or when Black Panther hits theaters, or when Ant Man hits theaters, like that's real Marvel. But but you know like uh, uh, WandaVision on Disney Plus, that's not really Marvel. That's kind of side content. No one thinks of it that way. When they just shoehorn Marvel properties off to like ABC and shit, and did like the Shield show or the Carter Agent Agent Peggy show or whatever it was, like those were shows that most people dismissed. But now they've carefully curated because of their subscription model and said, listen, Marvel content's Marvel content. Whether it's a show, whether it's a miniseries, whether it's a full-blown theatrical release, it's all Marvel. It's all connected in the same universe and you can enjoy it. And now we've kind of had this fluidity of like, I don't care if this Star Wars movie is in theater or if it's a multi-season show or if it's a one-time like uh, like a quick run of like eight episodes or whatever it is because people watch Mandalorian They see it as high-quality Star Wars with really great amount of talent and work and money put put into the project, and they say, I don't give a shit. This is is just as good Star Wars as anything else, any other movie that we've ever seen. WandaVision is just as good of a Marvel thing as any other Marvel movie, and I think Game Pass has the potential to do this to gaming. We can get that Halo game that's like, you know, we always talk about, like, the what if they made, like, the stealthy um, game where you play as, like, a a recon game. UNSC soldier or like the horror game where you play as like 
like a, a citizen of Reach or Meridian or something, and like the fucking flood come, and you have to like defend yourself against the flood or hide from them, and you can make like a survival horror game set in that Halo universe. This is what Game Pass allows. It allows you to do that, and it allows people to not think of like, oh, that's not a new Halo. That's just some bullshit spinoff, or that's a twenty dollar indie release, or this or that. It's like, no, man. We just want to make cool experiences, cool games, fun games. And Game Pass allows you to remove all those barriers and stigmas and just put cool content out there. And that's one of the biggest wins for Bethesda here is now Bethesda has that on its side because it's not up against the whole like, well, what kind of games can we make? Well, we got to make AAA games. It's got to be another $60 game. It's got to be another big AAA holiday release. It's like, no, man, you can just make the shit you want to make. Let your developers go wild and say, what would be cool to make? What is on your mind? What's on your heart? Go make that fucking game because it will be cool. Just like how no one ever thought we were going to get a weird show where one of the Olsen twins pretends it's like the 1950s American sitcom show and then turns out to be like Marvel Avengers quality content. Like no one is was expecting that. But because of the quality and the creativity and the value and the flexibility offered by a service like Disney Plus, that's where we are with, with Marvel now. And so why can't we get there with games? And I think Game Pass is that solution. And I think that's a massive benefit. That's a, that is a way that Xbox is changing the industry and changing gaming the way they did when they introduced Xbox Live. And again, it's like, if you want to talk about, well, what does Xbox have that PlayStation doesn't? That's it. Because yeah, God of War 2018 is an amazing game. I played that on my PS4. It's phenomenal. The Last of Us, at least the first one, phenomenal game. The second one, pretty good. The Uncharted games, they're great. Horizon Zero Dawn, pretty good game. Listen, man, I'm not trying to take that away. But at the end of the day, PlayStation's doing the same thing they've always done. Here's another AAA game at the full AAA price, and it's limited by what a AAA first-party game is supposed to be. Quote-unquote, supposed to be. And PlayStation puts themselves in a box by doing that. They can only make specific games because that's historically what they do, right? Nintendo can only make a 3D Mario game that's $60 and does what 3D Mario games do. And Zelda has to follow the conventions of what a AAA Zelda game is because that's what they can do. But Xbox gets to say, fuck it to all those things and make whatever the fuck they want because you're not buying a $60 game here, a $20 budget game there, a $10 indie game there. You're just subscribing to Game Pass and getting cool content. And now you're not thinking about the value and you're not thinking about what the game should be and what box it belongs in. You're just thinking this is good content that I get as a result of being a subscriber, of being an Xbox gamer. And that's the real value of Game Pass in a way I don't think enough people are talking about. And to me, when I think about what's the big advantage of Microsoft having Bethesda now, I think of that more than anything. So will PlayStation gamers have... Uh, Starfield or Elder Scrolls 6, maybe, I don't know, fucking, who cares? But what these games can now be because of Microsoft, because of Game Pass, that's way more exciting. So I just want to use those comments as a segue to talk about that. That's something I've been thinking about a lot this week. Really excited to talk about that. Now, Count Scott, Eli, I really wanted to read your comment here, but you wrote a massive chonker of a comment, and I feel like a dick, but I'm just going to go ahead and skip this one. But it's a really good comment. I did read it, and I put it in the show notes, so I want to put this out there. If any of you guys want to read Count Scottila's kind of take on this very topic that we're having here, go over to YouTube and, and look at last week's comments and you can read that. Count Scottila, I'm sorry. I do appreciate your time and you writing all this content in, but I feel like we got to keep the show going. So next up, these are just some miscellaneous comments. I just want to know Sam Torres and I feel like a dick for skipping Count Scottila and now reading this since this is so off topic, but you know, let's wrap up with one or two miscellaneous comments here. 
Sam Torres says, I got to know, I just saw one of the Hot Wheels RC cars last week at Target, and it was like my childhood wish come true, but can it actually steer well enough to be fun off the tracks? Some toy designer at Mattel finally received my Aquaman telepathy telepathy from 46 years ago. Fuck. I knew I should have bought that novelty witchcraft book instead of 1001 insults. Well, Sam, the answer to your question is no. That little RC car is really cool, but it's designed to run on a Hot Wheels track. So you can buy like a bunch of Hot Wheels track for like $2 a a pack at like Target. So just buy a couple of those and make a cheap little track and, and play it on that. But those Hot Wheel RC cars are fucking awesome. I, I have been enjoying the hell out of it. I actually use mine every single night because my cat loves it. So every night we set up the track, we put the little Hot Wheel on there, and we race around the track. And then she gets so into it, and she tries to chase the Hot Wheel all around the track and catch it. And so we've been doing that nightly, and it's been great fun. But uh, yeah, you, you should still buy one. But no, they're designed for either running on Hot Wheels track or like hardwood floors or tile, but they don't drive well on carpet or anything like that at all. So, just want to put that out there. Now, you also say, you went to Epcot yesterday. It was awesome, but you couldn't find Beef Wellington. Where is it? Also, had an epiphany about Epcot. You, as the visitor of the World Showcase, are like a tiny little airplane flittering from one country to the other until you run out of gas and need to land for fuel. Eat a roasted soy-glazed pork shank with small balls of potatoes or something like that. Imagination. All right, Sam. So, the Beef Wellington, I hate to break it to you, was actually a a festival item during the Arts Festival, which is now over. Now that it is springtime, spring, whatever, you know, if it's, it's technically winter, it's spring, whatever it is right now. They're into their Flower and Garden Festival, so the menus at all the festival booths have changed, so the Beef Wellington is gone. It will probably be back next, next January when the Art Festival comes back, but I'm sorry to say that it is gone. Um, but there are plenty of really great things to have at the Flower and Garden Festival. In fact, I went this past week. And I had a really nice strawberry, strawberry like cream, like dirt cake thing, which was awesome. And I had some incredible, God, there's like this breakfast booth there. And I had this like, it was like, it was like pork hash and like poached egg and like fried kind of like hash browns, but more like rice hash brown ball things. And they're with like grilled onions and peppers and God damn, that thing was amazing. So there's plenty of good food to eat at the flower and garden booth, which it looks like you had some, but thank you for writing in about Epcot, Sam. I appreciate that. Now, with that said, I think we should just wrap it up there. That's going to do it for our comments this week. Sorry to all of you whose comments weren't read. I'm trying to keep things a little more compact and concise. But remember, for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Now, we're going to talk about what I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about that, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. And let me just start with this, guys. This week, I officially became a Sam's Club member. So... Expect big things from me in the future here in terms of what I've been eating. So that is a stay tuned. But in terms of what I've been eating more immediately, I got to give a shout out to 3D Doritos. Now, these were teased a couple months ago and they've been out, but I haven't been able to find them. I guess they're exclusive. I've only seen them at Walmart and Sam's Club, so I guess they're exclusive to Walmart. Oh, but God damn, these things are so good. So 3D Doritos, for those of you who don't know, it is a callback to the... I guess 3D Doritos, what was that, like the early 2000s when those were out? But like, they're like puffy Doritos. Not like Cheetos Puffs, but more like, kind of like Bugles. But, you know, back in the day when they had them, they were just like the regular nacho cheese or the not regular Cool Ranch Doritos, but in the airy 3D puffy version. But now they brought them back after like 20 years or whatever. And they're different flavors, but they're kind of the same same concept. Uh, so now the cheese one is a nacho chili cheese, 
and the ranch one is a spicy ranch one, and they are both great. They're both phenomenal. I had both of them. I will say I vastly prefer the spicy ranch ones. I think those are incredible. I've already eaten two bags of them. I'm not even joking. And my girlfriend liked the uh, chili cheese nacho ones a lot, um, which you know I thought I think are good, but they're just not as good as the spicy ranch. So definitely both of them are worth a try. But if you if you you know if you're at a Walmart looking to get a COVID shot and you're unable to get some, fret not. You can head over the chip aisle and get yourself some 3D Doritos. They they seem to regularly be in stock now. Holy fuck, these things are good, you guys. Do not sleep on these 3D Doritos. They're not that high calorie for potato chips or corn chips, surprisingly. So do yourself a favor, eat some 3D Doritos and game on. Now, as for what I've been playing, I haven't had a lot of time to game the past week. I've been pretty busy, uh, but the one game I have been playing and trying desperately to make time for, but just haven't really gotten a lot of time to play it, um, has been Bulletstorm. Um, So finally, this game came in the mail. I told you guys last week I was waiting on it. Guys, I'm playing this game in preparation of of Outriders just because I'm excited for that game, but Bulletstorm is one of those games that's been on my back catalog since, like, you know, it was first announced like 10 years ago. So I've been waiting to play this game forever and I'm kicking myself now that I'm just now getting around to it. So I got the full clip edition, the Xbox One re-release version, and I'm almost done with the campaign. I'm at the end of it, but holy fuck. I will just put it like this, to, just to sum it up real nice. Bulletstorm is my favorite first person shooter that I've never played. This game is so good. So, so good. So for those who maybe need a little refresher, this is this was a collaboration between developer People Can Fly um, with Epic Games. So there's a lot, and this was like during the Gears of War time. So remember, People Can Fly used to work with Epic a lot. They helped with some of the development on Gears 2 and 3, and they worked a lot on Gears Judgment, which is you know considered the worst Gears of War game, but whatever. Um, but they worked a lot with Epic Games back in the their Gears of War days. Um, so I just want to put that out there that this game has a lot of Epic Games influence and therefore a lot of Gears of War influence. People, you know, a lot of people used to consider Bulletstorm like a first-person Gears of War game, basically. Um, and there, it, it is very, like, meathead-looking characters um, in a lot of, like, Gears of War-inspired, like, kind of combat shit. But it's also very much a first-person shooter with some very unique con- con- uh, um, concepts and mechanics. And, god damn, this game is good. So, I mean, like, the big gimmick of Bulletstorm is, like, it's a fun arcadey shooter in Unreal Engine, but what makes it so awesome is you get this leash thing. It's like this like electric whip thing on your wrist and you can just like whip enemies from across the map, pull them to you and then kick them. So you can like, you could be like putting a, you can have your assault rifle out. You could be like putting bullets into an enemy and then you like weaken him. You whip out your lash, which is like a grappling hook almost. You grab the enemy, you draw the enemy to you and then you can kick the enemy into like a spike wall and just like obliterate them. And it it becomes such a dynamic and fun mechanic once you really start working with it. Like, oh my God, it's so fun to just, I, I love just like pulling enemies and kicking them. Um, but you can also like take the shotgun and blast them into like a wall with spikes or something like that and just fucking go ham with it. The sniping mechanic is so unique and original. It's like um, you like line up your target and then you shoot but then you can control the bullet once it's flying in the air. So you can like 
the target will try to like avoid the sniper bullet and then you have to like use the bullet to like track the enemy and, and hit him. It's just it, it, like, I'm not a sniper. Like I don't enjoy sniping usually in games, but man, this game makes me actually really like sniping a lot. It's just so, it's such a fun game. It has so many unique ideas and mechanics and it just feels really great. It's a really good, you know, shooter. The story is a little whatever. Um, you know, a lot of people complain the game hasn't aged well with it being a little bit a product of its time, having some, you know, kind of, edgy content, some edgy writing and acting a little bit misogynistic and things like that for the time. Um, so I, I will, I will point out those criticisms of it. And I will say, I think there are some mechanics of the game that are a little archaic, like the way the ammo and everything is done with getting ammo and, it, you know, taking care of your guns and that kind of inventory management stuff. But for the most part, it doesn't, none of that shit matters. You could literally turn the volume off and not even listen to the story or any of the dialogue. What's important about Bulletstorm is it is just a, pure fun shooter like a bullet storm to me i think feels kind of like how it seems everyone else felt about like doom 2016 don't get me wrong i like the new doom games just fine i enjoy them quite a bit but i i don't click with them the way it seems a lot of other people do and that always makes me sad because i want to like them to that extent but i think bullet storm is hitting with me kind of the way people talk about doom 2016 where it's just it is just pure chaotic gory unadulterated fun for a first person shooter. It's just super M rated, super ridiculous, over the top, wacky. There's like a dancing rhythm kind of thing to it. The way you're supposed to like manage your weapons and killing the different enemy types and the whipping and the throwing and the kicking and the sliding, the slide mechanics. So good in the game. If you, once you really start to master the mechanics, you can tie these things together in a way that like the way you take out enemies and clear rooms just feels so rhythmic and it's just really fluid and fun. And it's, Really, really phenomenal game. Do not sleep on Bulletstorm. Unfortunately, the game's like still forty bucks for some reason in the store. Um, but I, I just I picked it up on eBay for like eighteen dollars, and man, I don't regret it. This game is so. The only thing I regret is that I didn't play this game when it first came out on the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty because this is like one of those games. Like I'll definitely go back at some point and play through this game a second time. Like this is not a one and done game for me. This is a very, very good game. So lots of high praise to Bulletstorm. Really enjoying that. Uh, but that's really the only thing I've been playing. And, and Sarugi actually commented in about Bulletstorm and says, Bulletstorm is an absolute banger. I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to have an absolute blast with that game. Shame it probably won't see a sequel. And Sarugi, you're right. That game's almost never going to see a sequel, which is a crying shame. And it actually has me a little sad because I got the game in excitement for Outriders because I am really enjoyed the demo for that and can't wait to play the game. But now that I've played Bulletstorm, it, it makes me almost wish that Outriders was a Destiny-like shared world shooter sequel to Bulletstorm, because I'd rather play that. But, I mean, not not to shit, shit on Bulletstorm, Bulletstorm or um, Outriders, because Outriders is a really fun game as well, but, man, Bulletstorm is so fun and so unique, and it's, it's a really special game, and I'm just glad we at least got the one entry, even though we'll probably never see a sequel. But yeah, that's 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 it for everything, guys. I think we need to just jump into our, our news at this point now that we're an hour into the show. So let's get into our conversations of the week. All right, this week's a little bit of a shorter news week, so not too much to get into, but some interesting stuff. So let's dig right in. Our first story comes from Windows Central and is that Outriders, the upcoming RPG co-op shooter from Bulletstorm developer People Can Fly, hey, what did we just talk about, and publisher Square Enix, will be available in Xbox Game Pass at launch. It's been playable via Xbox or Cloud Gaming. It'll be playable on Xbox via Cloud Gaming app on Android devices uh, for any Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers. 
Outriders supports cross-play on all platforms so friends can play together regardless of who is on their system. A recent Outriders demo allows players to try the first couple of hours for free, and progress carries over to the full game. Outriders, which was originally supposed to launch in holiday 2020, but like many games that was pushed back further for further polish, Outriders is now scheduled to arrive on April 1st, coming to Series X, Series S, Xbox One, and PC, along with other consoles. Outriders is easily one of the biggest third-party games yet to launch into Xbox Game Pass on day one. So, this is a bombshell news announcement that was done earlier this week and i i want to emphasize what a big deal this is or at least to me or that's how i interpret it at least because a couple things here guys so i mean xbox game pass has definitely gotten some day and date releases you know but it's usually some smaller games and things like that um it's usually not something from one of the big publishers i should say like it's never like a Ubisoft or Square Enix game or anything like that. And that's exactly what this is. This is this isn't Microsoft putting their game into Game Pass when it first launches. This is Square Enix and People Can Fly putting their new game into Game Pass the day it launches. Now there's a lot of reasons for why they're doing this. And there's a lot of ways we can attack this discussion. I have a lot of things to say about it. So I'm just trying to comprehend how I even want to start with this. L- let's start with this. Okay. So initially a large part of this game's delay, I think, was because you know, remember the the publisher here is Square Enix, and Square Enix is suffering a little bit right now because they did Marvel's Avengers, which flopped tremendously. They've they've announced that they've lost so much money on Marvel's Avengers that they could basically fund another big game with the amount of money they lost on Avengers alone. And last year they reported a a, a net loss, despite the fact that Final Fantasy VII Remake made them so much goddamn money because Avengers performed so badly that it just brought the whole company down so much um, over the last fiscal year. So with that said, I think Square Enix is really apprehensive about Outriders because Outriders is a similar story to Marvel's Avengers, which is, you know, it's a shared world kind of games as a service type game. Now, Outriders you know, positions itself as something a little more single-player friendly and a little more cohesive and one-and-done if you want that experience. Um, but it, it it is very much in the vein of, like, a Destiny or, or a Division-type game. So I think I think just the, the, the fact that People Can Fly is not a very popular developer and the fact that this game hasn't garnered a shit ton of press and, and coverage... That paired with how Avengers totally bombed despite, you know, having the Avengers license, I think has Square Enix very nervous. So a lot of the first part of this delay to April 1st that the game had, you know, because the game was supposed to be released in February, wasn't for Polish. They'll tell you it was for Polish, but the reason why they delayed the game from February to April was because they wanted to do this demo thing. They wanted to put the game out in some form so people could play it, so they could get pre-order numbers up, so they could give people a taste of the game and say, listen, don't let this game come and go. Like, Give it a try, see if it's something you like, and maybe people will come to play. And I think it was a really smart idea because Outriders is most definitely one of those games that if it just came out, it would have come and gone and people wouldn't have paid attention to it. But I think the fact that people could try it for free and play this demo and get started for free really helped the game just shine because it's one of those games that like bullet storm before it you didn't know it was good until you gave it a try and making it free is a good way to get people to try it on top of that outriders is also in a position where it's releasing at a really nice time because unlike marvel's avengers the past few months for gaming have been pretty whisper quiet especially since the new consoles have come out both ps5 and series x are really struggling right now to find 
a big game to play on the new consoles. You know, a lot of what Xbox has been doing since the Series X come out, has come out is like old games look and run better than ever before thanks to Series X, which is very true, but come on, people want new games. And, and there's definitely a huge hole in the catalog because Halo Infinite was delayed. So that's where Xbox is. PlayStation's in a similar boat. They had Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is a great game, but keep in mind that came to PS4. I don't have a PS5, and I played that game because I have PS4. You know, they had Sackboy's Big Adventure, which is, you know, like a, a kitty fun family game. And, and they, they just haven't had a big launch title over on PlayStation either. So it's I would argue it's even a more dire situation on PlayStation because they don't have play old games, they look and run better on this console. They don't. They have play old games on this brand new piece of hardware. They look and run like they did on the old thing. So it's it's really dire between both these platforms. And I think Outriders has a real opportunity here to launch at the right time where there's not much to play. People have these new consoles. They're really eager for more content. Remember, gaming is at an all-time high right now because of COVID. People are just home. They bought new consoles. They like gaming. Gaming is just more in the public consciousness than ever before. I think Outriders is launching at a really opportune time between having this free demo that got a lot of people to pay attention to a game they would have otherwise neglected, these new consoles being out with not a lot of new exclusive big games to play, and this is a game that will be optimized for PS5 and Series X, and now with it launching into Game Pass, giving it a surefire guaranteed player base, I think this is a really great way to position this game to be, this game is now positioned to potentially be one of those slow burn games where maybe it doesn't come out the gate and sell like Destiny or something like that, but it could be one of those games that does better than it should have considering how what an unknown quantity was, and then because it has that install base and player base from people who played the demo and people who have Game Pass, now it can continue to sustain itself, get people to spend money on you know, post-game content, microtransactions or whatever, although I think the game doesn't have microtransactions, and then, you know, and just generate buzz and interest around the game because, as we know, a lot of games don't live and die just by initial sales anymore. If it's more of a games-as-service type deal, a lot of these games live and die more by the longevity of, of the game. It's, it's post-launch content, it's community, whether or not the people stick around and continue to play the game. And so I think Square Enix has been pretty smart, actually, about how they're playing this, and bringing the game to Xbox day and date, I think, is the next step in that. So, is this going to be a normal thing? Are we going to see Ubisoft put, like, the next Far Cry in a game past day and date? No. I wish we'd see this more, and hopefully we do see it more. But I think this is a little more of a one-off situation where there's this opportunity for, you know, there's all this goodwill and buzz around Game Pass right now. And Xbox is a, a brand that's growing and getting more of its market back right now. Um, and that paired with... Square, Squaresoft is looking for, or Square Enix is really trying to find a way to make this game be as successful as it can be so that they can lessen the blow of the recent losses they've experienced as a result of Marvel's Avengers underperformance. So I think this is just a culmination of things that have really panned out. But like to people like me, this is super exciting because I was going to buy Outriders no matter what. I was happy to spend 60 bucks on this game. And now I'm just going to get it for free on Game Pass. So this is like a really great story for you know people like me and a lot of you out there listening who are gonna play Outriders anyway and now are just getting more value out of your game pass and hopefully we get to see this game succeed and be a little more than you know I, I hate I hate seeing games fail especially when it's a game like this where I'm like this is kind of like a fun creative game um that isn't gonna get its dues you know if it's blocked off to people by a $60 paywall so it really warms my heart to see that this game has a lot more potential and possibility to succeed now because of game pass because of this demo because of the time of year in which it's releasing so 
This is just huge news for Game Pass. This is, because keep in mind, again, usually when you get games this big that launch on Game Pass day and day, it's because it's an Xbox game. It's like, yeah, we know Halo and Gears of War and Forza and Grounded and and Bleeding Edge and you know Hellblade 2 and all these games are going to come out on Game Pass the day they come out regularly, right? But we don't expect that from the third parties. We don't expect that from EA, from Activision, from Ubisoft, from Square Enix. We're not, no one was thinking that would happen. So the fact that this is happening is just such a massive, especially for Xbox. Because again, keep in mind, like everything is just optimized, looks, runs best on Xbox. And now you've got like this big new game to play on your shiny new Series X and you don't even have to buy it. You just got it because of Game Pass. And it's not even an Xbox game. All the Xbox games that are going to be free because of Game Pass are still on the way. So this is just a, a huge, huge win. A really, really exciting story. And I hope, I just really hope this culminates in not only being a huge success for Game Pass, but more importantly, in my opinion, being a huge success for People Can Fly. I think what I've learned so far from playing the Outriders demo and from playing Bulletstorm is that People Can Fly as a developer, and remember, their, their first game they worked on was a game, a PC shooter called um, Painkiller, which is actually a game that I always really, really wanted to play back in the day when it was a newer game, which was like 2002, 2003-ish. Um, but I, I never played it. I always wanted to, but I, I never did. But just judging by that game's art style and then what I've now played of Bulletstorm and Outriders, I will say it seems like People Can Fly has this, this issue where they make very, very unique games from a gameplay and mechanics and new ideas kind of standpoint. Like they make really creative and interesting and fun games that really have their own identity as, as far as how they feel. But when you look at a game like Bulletstorm, you're like, oh, it looks like a Gears of War knockoff, right? With Call of Duty perspective. And then you look at a game like Outriders, you're like, oh, okay, I've already played The Division or Anthem or Destiny. It's like, come on, we've already seen this before. Come up with something new. But it's like, these games kind of lack in visual style the the thing that sets them apart. But if you if you can somehow get if, find yourself in a position where you play these games, I think you'll find that it seems like People Can Fly is a pretty competent developer that makes really interesting and unique experiences. So, again, I, I hope what this all means is that this game has a real good shot of of shining and, and doing well now as a result of this. But I, I just want to put that out there. This is a really fun and exciting news and gives us all something to look forward to pretty soon as the game comes out, you know, in uh, two weeks' time. And I had that day requested off work so I can stay home all day and play it for a long weekend. So... I'm really looking forward to that one. Now, our next story here, um, we, like, like I said, we don't have many, so let's, you know, our next one here, kind of a quick one, but Rhonda, Co- this is from Segment Next, a, a source I've never cited before, but here we go. Rhonda Cox, producer for Sony Santa Monica, has apparently left the studio to work for The Initiative, the studio behind the upcoming Perfect Dark remake. Cox made the announcement on Facebook and is very excited to be working on the franchise that holds a special place in her life. The remake of Perfect Dark was often rumored and hinted at for years, but was formally announced at the 2020 Game Awards with a CGI trailer. Uh, While we haven't seen any gameplay or footage of the game, hopefully remaking such a beloved game will turn out amazingly well, but Perfect Dark thrust players into a high-tech spy thriller as Joanna Dark, Dark, an, an agent of the Carrington Institute that must infiltrate the megacorporation Datadyne in order to prevent them from making use of alien technology to become the most powerful corporation on Earth. So this is a, maybe this is a, you know, not too much to dissect here, but this is big industry talent coming back to the initiative, which is nice to see, especially after Drew Murray left. So, so this is, this is nice to see because it's, again, it's, 
kind of what Drew Murray was in the form of like big Sony associated talent working on this new Xbox studio. Not quite the same because I just was really excited about having Drew Murray on team Xbox working on games with for Xbox platform. But nonetheless, you know, he's back at, at Insomniac again. Um, but Rhonda Cox has a pretty long history working at Sony Santa Monica, which is the God of War developer. So she's had her hands on a lot of God of War games, a lot of really well-beloved, highly regarded titles. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how she's able to mesh with the team at the initiative, which is already consistent of a lot of really high-end talent, you know, from a lot of Sony developers nonetheless, and to see, you know, how she can impact this game. Again, there's not really much to say about this other than to say more notable talent hitting the initiative despite the initiative losing some notable talent that it had first acquired. So I want to just put that out there. This game is in a weird, fluctuating state. There's a lot of people coming in and out of the project, and that's to be expected because the project's still relatively early in development and the team is incredibly new. But I don't know. I almost feel like we've heard just too much about the initiative at this point. I almost wish that they didn't announce the initiative until they were like already well into the development of this game. But I understand why they had to. You know, There's all these LinkedIn profiles and things like that going on we we know people are leaving studios and going to a new place so the gig is up we had to you know we'd have to know sooner or later but it's just so kind of annoying just patiently waiting all these years to find out well what are they working on how many people what people are consistent of this team when are they gonna be able to show anything it's just this really long slow burn of a wait but nonetheless more Good news in light of some not so great news for the initiative in that they are getting some great new talent. Now, next up, this is to kind of go back to Count Scott's comment from earlier. But yes, 343 did a Ask 343 video stream last week where people could write in with uh, questions about Halo Infinite and 343 developers would answer them. Um, and some really good questions or things were brought up. Um, subjects about things like dual wielding, playing as a lead, stay and night cycle, how open world the game is, blah, blah, blah. So I just want to touch on a couple of these because there's some really nice, you know, if you're a big Halo fan or you're really looking forward to Halo Infinite, I think there's some good chunks of information we can we can take away from this. The first one, dual wielding, they basically said no. Dual wielding is not coming back to Halo. You'll remember, obviously, that game, that feature was first introduced in Halo 2 and then kind of neutered and rolled back a lot in Halo 3 and then hasn't been seen in a Halo game since Halo 3, and that's for good reason. Bungie's even kind of admitted that, like, dual wielding broke Halo and it's kind of, kind of shitty. So I don't know why. It's one of those things. It's like seeing Halo fans constantly ask for dual wielding to come back into Halo is all the proof that I need to know that people aren't really Halo fans. They're just, they're just like, in, they're just painfully nostalgic for their childhood or their upbringing and they want everything to be a reflection of what they remember being great and not what's actually great for the product because dual wielding was not good in Halo 2. It was completely broken. Regular weapons were underpowered because they weren't dual wielding and then dual wielding weapons were overpowered and everything kind of sucked and reload times were shitty. This is why Halo 2 is not as good as Halo 3 and I've been playing a lot of Halo 2 multiplayer in recent weeks so I feel like I'm, I, I can speak to this but like, Halo 2 was so unbalanced because of dual wielding, yet all these people who grew up loving Halo 2 are just like, well, it's not Halo if it doesn't have dual wielding. It's like, no, you fucking idiot. That's why in Halo 3 there was barely any dual wielding and it kind of sucked because they wanted to give you the feature so you wouldn't bitch about it, but roll it back and neuter it enough so that they could be like, yeah, we were wrong. Dual wielding does not belong in this game. And then, you know, by the time 343 took over the franchise, they're like, fuck it. No, we're not putting dual wielding in these games. So... I'm 100% cool with this. The way 343 kind of played it off was they were like, we really want to focus on 
fine tuning and perfecting the experience we've already built rather than trying to add more features and complicate the experience even more just to please people. You know, we'd rather get the fundamentals done right than try to get all the features in and maybe have it be a jack of all trades, master of none situation. That's kind of how they played it off. But I I think without really addressing it, what they're pretty much doing is saying what Bungie said to begin with, which is guys, dual wielding sucks in Halo. Stop asking for it. It wasn't fun in Halo 2. You're just nostalgic. This is this is what I'm saying. This is why people don't want running in Halo. It's not because running makes Halo bad. It's because people remember Halo being dual wielding. You got uh, a plasma pistol in one hand and a, and a needler in the other, and you're walking around the map looking for people, and you can't run, and you got this and that. And, and people are like, I need that experience on repeat. I cannot have anything new. Do not challenge my expectations. I want the same fucking comfort food. When I microwave a bag of popcorn, I expect it to taste like popcorn. Don't you dare put fucking truffle oil on that, you stupid hipster dumbass bitch. That's how Halo fans are. They just want, they want the same shit. They basically just want 343 to make Halo 2 again again and just make it look like a beautiful series x game they'll, they'll probably still bitch about it because they're halo fans but that's where we are on the dual wielding one that was the biggest one the most controversial one was the topic of dual wielding again i don't see any problem with this i'm totally happy with this like i I've played so much halo reach halo 4 halo 5 and at no point during any of those games was i ever like you know what what really wouldn't make this game is if I could dual wield again. In fact, I always forget Halo had dual wielding because even though I play a lot of Halo 3, I never dual wield in that game. And just I just don't play Halo 2 a lot because it's it's like Halo 3 is just way better. It's just a way better version of Halo 2 multiplayer. So it's like, okay. So I, I, I don't I don't know. I never even think about this feature, but I guess it matters to some people who just want to force 343 to make the game in their head and not the game they want to make. Uh, the other big thing that had people kind of up in arms from this um, Q&A was the thing about elites. So someone asked, will you be able to play as elites in this game, which you may remember in Halos 2, 3, and Reach, you could play as a, as elites in, in multiplayer. You could, uh, you could select to either be a Spartan or an elite, and there's no difference whatsoever in terms of like the way it feels or controls or anything. There's no difference between an elite or a Spartan. Obviously your hand, the hand wrapped around the gun in the first person perspective looks different. The character model is different, but like there's no height difference or like speed difference or, or perks or anything like Spartans and elites play exactly the same. So, I mean, I get it. People want customization and in, in personnel into personalize their experience, but three, four, three was like, no, this is a very, they said this is, this game is a master chief story, which is what we've accepted. We said at nauseum and we want to be, you know, in multiplayer, just like how the campaign's a, a master chief experience. We want the multiplayer to be a Spartan experience. So no, there's no elites, which to me, I hear that. And I'm instantly like, Oh, I don't give a shit. I don't, I don't give a shit. Again, Halo multiplayer was never fun or not fun because you can make your character model look like an elite. Halo multiplayer is fun because the gameplay core mechanics are really, really good. Like, I don't give a shit whether or not I look like a, an elite. And the funny thing is my brother was commenting to this and, and he made a really funny point I never even thought about. He's like, he's like, the only reason, my brother says, the only reason why I care about whether or not you can play as an elite in a Halo game is because when when they allow people to pick an elite as their character multiplayer, it just means I have a bigger hitbox for my, for enemy targets, which I found funny because I'm like, that's that's kind of true because elites are bulkier and wider and bigger enemies, so therefore larger hitboxes. And for me, as someone who only ever plays as a Spartan in multiplayer, I never play as an elite. It's funny because I'm just like, okay, play as an elite if that's what you want. I guess you just make yourself more exposed and easier to kill in the game. But whatever, teach his own, right? 
So again, it's another one of those things where I'm like, this is people just getting so riled up about all the wrong things. Like guys, what matters in this game is that they tell a good stories. If the gameplay is really fun, if the world is fun to explore and interesting, if the guns are varied and interesting and fun to play and all feel and sound different from one another, if the enemies are cool and fun to fight, if the boss of the bad game, uh, if the bad guy or the main boss of the game is like a fucking badass that you look to and go, that's an awesome character. If they tie up the loose ends with the whole Cortana plot and everything, that's what we're looking for. Like we're looking for them to make a cool next generation Halo game. Again, if you want Halo 2, go to the Master Chief Collection and play Halo 2. But 343 is kind of busy working on a whole new thing. So let's let Halo Infinite be Halo Infinite, okay? So that's the other big controversial thing. Now, everything else they said, I think, was a little less kind of uh, uh, hair-raising for some people. Um, but I think they mentioned some other s- stuff, which we'll touch on real fast. Uh, someone asked about how open world the game is. And this this actually put my mind at ease a lot, how they answered this, which is like, we want the game to feel very open-ended. Like, it, like you know, traditionally in a Halo game, if there's a segment where like you're given a scorpion, usually it's like you can use that scorpion, but then eventually the level will kind of push you, the level design will kind of push you out of the scorpion when it's time to give up the, wep- the, the, the vehicle. And then you progress through the level on foot as intended by the developer. They're like, we want to kind of avoid those things and make a, make combat snares more open-ended. So you could be like, okay, here's a scorpion I'm given for this combat scenario. What if I take good care of my scorpion? And it doesn't blow up. Can I hang on to it for like another 30 minutes and ride that bitch all the way into an encounter that wasn't designed with a scorpion in mind, but because I played the game smart and, and did the way I wanted to, I'm now able to kind of manipulate the sandbox to my liking. And they're like, that's kind of what we mean by open world. That's kind of what we are de- developing. And to me, I'm like, that's exciting. I want that. The multifaceted approach to combat, which is what makes Halo so fun to begin with, is the interesting weapons, the interesting enemies, and the ways you can kind of play with the environments and the weapons and the enemies to have interesting combat scenarios. That's what makes Halo... Dude, like, I don't think people understand. It's like, I think that is Halo's core mechanic, isn't isn't it? Like, this is why Halo and Call of Duty are different. Because in Call of Duty, the guns are all a little bit different from one another. But at the end of the day, in Call of Duty, you stand back, you shoot enemies, and you kill them. Whether it's an assault rifle, a machine gun, a sniper. Those are the minor differences in how you play the game. Halo is different. Because Halo, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why I love Halo 5 so much. Is because Halo 5 really got this. Halo is about, again, like, the dance. The rhythm of the combat. It's like... How can I traverse this room, these enemies? It's like, okay, there's an elite. Elites fight like this. They have more damage. They have more shield than grunts. Grunts are easier to take out. So it's like, I'll use this enemy. You know, I'll go up to these sleeping grunts. I'll I'll, I'll headbutt one, and then I'll take them out with my assault rifle. I'll just toss a grenade and take them all out. And then here's the elite. I'll have to, you know, maybe I'll pull out my shotgun for that and get them up real close and then jump back onto this ledge, switch to my assault rifle, decrease his shield, get back up behind him and, and melee him for a finishing move or something like that. And you can think about... The ledges, the jump, the floaty, like jumpy mechanics, the different weapons and how they all interact with the enemies. The fact that every single enemy has different kinds of health and abilities and pros and cons. And this is what makes Halo a fun game is that all these things are so intricately tuned and and made, tailor made to the experience that's like it becomes this dance of like the way this level happens, the way this combat scenario plays out is dependent on how I want to approach it. And what 343 is basically saying here is we're taking that idea and expanding it. And to me, that sounds like the next generation of Halo. I'm like, I'm on board. That's exactly how you take what Halo is and make it a next generation, a new experience. So I'm 100% on board for what they're saying here. Again, 
this is what I loved about Halo 5 is like you could clamber. You could like jump up to ledges and clamber up there and then like have like the thrust ability. So it added new ways of new mechanics and new ways of interacting with the sandbox and the weapons and the enemy design. So I know the whole thing is fuck Halo, fuck fuck Halo 4, fuck Halo 5. 343 doesn't know what they're doing. But again, when, when I hear 343 talking like this, my response isn't like, well, the art style of Halo 4 isn't very Halo, or Marty O'Donnell is the only one who can do the music for Halo, or if you don't have dual wielding, it's not Halo. It's like, you're fucking stupid at that point. Like, you're, you're, you're so stupid that, like, the doctor might tell you your, your brain is the size of a peanut, and instead of giving you the COVID vaccine, they might just put you down. They might just euthanize you because you're so stupid at that point. Because the fact, because, like, I'm, I'm, I just, I feel like I'm so disconnected from what the rest of the world is saying or the rest of the Halo fan base wants and says, because it's like, here's 343. And they're telling me that they understand what Halo is because they're talking about ways to approach it, approach combat scenarios, nailing the the fundamentals and the mechanics and the weapons and the enemy design and really like getting that down pat. And they're just talking about that being the fun of the game. It's like, how can we find new ways to interact and make the sandbox more utilitarian and more approachable and more dynamic? And like that, those are the words coming from people who understand what Halo is fundamentally. If we're going to get bogged down in the weeds about like the composer now that Mario Donald doesn't work with 343 or the, or the art style now that new people work on the Halo franchise instead of the old Bungie guys, it's like, you're getting bogged down in the weeds and you're you're totally failing to understand what makes this franchise what it is. And that's that's like at the core of what's so frustrating about Halo. It's like 343 totally gets it. They just they just totally get it. It's I, I mean, I, I you know, you know they say like like if listen, man, like if everyone else, if you have to argue constantly to make your point, then you've already lost the argument. They say they say that. They say like, you know, like if you if everyone else thinks one thing and you're constantly fighting everyone else on something, it's like, maybe it's not, they're all wrong. Maybe it's you're wrong. You know, these kinds of sayings and stuff. I don't think any of that applies to Halo. I truly, truly, truly believe 343 knows what's best for this franchise. And they've been doing a pretty great job. All things considered with Halo and the Halo fan base and gamers at large are just too stupid to appreciate it. And I know that sounds like such a fucking elitist asshole thing to say, but at this point, I'm just, I'm just so tired with Halo. I'm so fucking tired of, of seeing people complain when it's like they just constantly knock it out of the park. They constantly give us cool. Like, I don't, I just don't understand. It's like Halo 5 felt like an evolution of Halo to me. But now that they're doing Halo Infinite, which is very different from Halo 5, still sounds like an evolution of Halo to me. It still sounds like they really understand what matters most. And it just has me more and more excited. But I, I hope. God, I, I fucking hope this game can get a break in some way, shape, or form and that people can just appreciate it. I mean, unless it sucks. If it actually sucks, I'll eat my words, whatever. If it, Maybe the game sucks. Who knows? We haven't played it. But it, it really sounds like they know what they're doing. They also talked about upgrading and customizing weapons, which they said they, they played around with that, but at some point it stops becoming Halo once you start letting them like customize and personalize the weapons because it gets to a point where like, okay, the whole point of Halo is like you pick up the weapon, random encounters, you find this, you find that. Once you start tinkering with all the minute details on the gun, the balancing and everything, you start to lose the luster and really impact the sandbox, which I again agree with. Now, this is an interesting one. They said there are gonna be there won't be any pre-rendered cutscenes in the game which is 
Kind of disappointing because Blur has been doing such a great job with Halo cutscenes for the past decade or so. But they said, yeah, the whole game takes place in-engine. So all the cutscenes, all the dialogue will take place in-game engine. So they said, like, if it's, you know, if it's daytime in the game and you get into a cutscene, it will be daytime. If it's if it's nighttime and it's raining in the game and then you trigger a cutscene, it will be nighttime and raining because the whole game never breaks the engine for a cutscene. Uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, And then they said, someone asked if you'd be able to ever carry more than one equipment item. They said in multiplayer, for sure, that's not the plan. That's supposed to be like the one equipment item at a time, kind of like Halo 3, which is good. They said upgrade, talked about the day-night cycle, how eventually they're going to continue to improve on it over time and add more weathering and storm effects and things like that to make it more believable, which sounds really cool. But yeah, you can go watch the video. It's a 40-minute video if you want, but... That was those were the most important things they talked about. I don't know. After watching that video, I was just mostly more and more excited about Halo Infinite. But uh, I mean, f- fuck. I get. I guess I'm just a fucking psycho because people just want Halo Two Remaster Collection Part Two and then be told it's a new game so that their tiny brains can feel good. But like the only, I, I'm convinced at this point, the only way three four three can win if they really want to win, this is what they gotta do. They gotta just take. Halo 2. Don't even touch it, because if you touch it, they're going to complain that you fucked with the lighting or something. Don't even touch it. Just release the fucking Halo 2 Xbox original game that was put out back in 2004. Just put that out again. Just put on the box Halo Infinite, but secretly just slip a Halo 2 disc in there. And then put Bungie's logo on the box. Don't even put 343 anywhere on there. Keep 343 as far away from that box art as possible. Just slap the fucking Bungie logo on there write Halo Infinite on the cover, and put a 2004 Xbox original Halo 2 disc in the box. Do that, and you will please old school Halo fans to no end. In fact, they might still complain a little bit, because, I mean, that's that's their God-given right, I guess. But I, I think that is the clo- that is probably the safest thing 343 could do at this point, if they want to please Halo fans. Because they clearly know what they're doing, but fuck everyone else. Now, real quick, an update on Dying Light 2, which we haven't heard about for a very long time. Techland, developer behind Dying Light 2, finally came out this week and and talked more about the game that's kind of been in development hell, uh, saying that the game is now planned for a 2021 release date, even though last year they said it was indefinitely delayed. Although they had no specific time, they left a quote saying, this is a huge complex project and... We need time to make sure that it will live up to our vision. All of us here are putting our hearts into delivering a game that you will keep playing for months. We will be ready to start talking about Dying Light 2 very, very soon. So, remember lead designer uh, Timon Matala said said in the video that the team at Techland needs trust and support from the from players to motivate them towards uh, getting through this hard time of development, especially with COVID and everything. Uh, which is kind of a weird quote, but they're just asking for just a bit longer. They'll update us soon with with a more specific date and more gameplay. Um, but the video and the announcement comes, you know, just a few months after. Remember, Dying Light Two was hindered by some allegations and turbulence at the studio, reporting with some like upper management that basically forced people out the studio and, and led to a lot of departures. So. This game seems like it's in development hell, but I just want to put out there they're, they're giving an update. They're saying we'll see more of it soon. I think this game has probably been basically scrapped and remade at this point, which is such a shame because Dying Light 1 was such a pleasant surprise considering how bad uh, Dead Island was, which was their original game. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe they're able to turn around for Dying Light 2. And then our final story here, guys, is just basically the Game Pass lineup of upcoming games. So last week with the Bethesda Microsoft Ra- Xbox Roundtable thing, they announced 20 Bethesda games coming to Game Pass. So 
Those are all out as of now on Game Pass. Some of them have even been bumped up with some new performance specs. So now on Game Pass, because, you know, Bethesda is all Team Xbox now, Game Pass subscribers can now play Dishonored Definitive Edition, Dishonored 2, Doom 1993, Doom 2, Doom 3, Doom 64, Doom Eternal, Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind, Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion, Elder Scrolls 5 Skyrim Special Edition, Elder Scrolls Online, Evil Within, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, Fallout New Vegas, that's a big one, Prey, Rage 2, Wolfenstein the New Order, Wolfenstein the Old Blood, and Wolfenstein Youngblood. Now, some of those were already on there, either at different points or already recently, um, but I mean, that's a massive list of <laughs> Bethesda games that are now just in Game Pass permanently because they're part of Team Xbox. And on top of that, as if that's not enough, Prey, Dishonored Definitive Edition, Elder Scrolls, Skyrim, Special Edition, Fallout 4, and Fallout 76 are all getting FPS boosts. So you can run them at 60 FPS on your new Xbox console. So that is all a massive bump to Game Pass. Also coming to Game Pass, or available now, Undertale. So for the first time, Undertale is now on Xbox, just period, and it's in Game Pass. So that's interesting. I've had that game in my Steam library forever and just haven't played it. So maybe maybe I'll play it now, but probably not. And then additionally, coming to Game Pass real soon, by the time you're hearing this podcast, Empire of Sin, Nier Automata on PC, Star Wars Squadrons through EA Play, and Torchlight 3 on console and PC are all out on Game Pass. And then on March 25th, we're getting Genesis Noir on console and PC, uh, Octopath Traveler, which is that Nintendo Switch exclusive, now coming to P- now coming to Xbox and PC, and on Game Pass. Pillars of Eternity 2: Dead Fires coming to PC. Uh, Superland coming to PC. Yakuza 6: The Song of Life coming to Xbox and PC and cloud gaming. Um, so like every bit of Yakuza content we're basically getting here. And then on March 30th, we're getting Narita Boy on console, cloud, and uh, PC. Nove- on April 1st, we're getting Outriders on Xbox and cloud. Uh, which we already talked about, and but not on PC, keep that in mind. And then later on in April, we're getting NHL 21 through EA Play on console. So lots and lots of good content there. I Dude, Game Pass really has gone from like, what a great service with a fair amount of good games to like, what a great service with a terrifyingly overwhelming number of phenomenal games. You know, we're getting we're getting to that point where like you truly don't ever have to buy a game again. You could survive just off Game Pass alone if you wanted to. That's going to do it for all of our big news stories, guys. Now let's go over some important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. First one comes from Windows Central, which says that Microsoft has a new feature uh, for Xbox Insiders to try out that helps dramatically increase the speed of downloading games. The new feature allows you to manually suspend games directly from the page uh, managing downloads. Suspending a game can increased download speeds more than tenfold and it's important to note that you could already suspend games on xbox consoles including series x and series s and one uh, but the feature testing for xbox insiders just makes it easier to do so from a different location placing the option to suspend games in the page for managing downloads should make it easier to boost download speeds directly implying for users that hey download your game faster by suspending the thing you're playing Next up, Windows Central also says the return of Xbox achievement support comes to the latest Xbox app update for iOS and Android, scheduled for a stage rollout with existing users. The company has outlined the initial launch among a limited set of players with broader availability planned in the weeks ahead. 
Achievements come tied to Xbox Live profiles with the ability to browse, view progress, status, and all that shit, as you already know. Thank God this is coming back. I've been so salty that I haven't been able to check this stuff on my phone for a long time because of the new app that came out last fall. Next, by the time you're you're listening to this podcast, EA Play will have officially launched on PC, offering Game Pass subscribers access to tons of EA games as well as tons of discounts and trials for some of the hottest games from the publisher that everyone hates. Next, Outer Worlds is getting some new DLC, so Obsidian Entertainment and Private Division's Outer Worlds already got its first DLC, Peril on Gorgon, back in September, but now the second and final DLC is out now. It is called Outer Worlds Murder of Eridanos, and it's available on Xbox and PC. Next, Doom Eternal The Ancient Gods Part 2, the final DLC expansion for Doom Eternal, is available now. After that, Age of Empires will be getting a preview event on April 10th at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time. Microsoft will hold the event uh, as a live stream and include reveals for multiple titles like Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, Age of Empires 3 Definitive Edition, as well as the upcoming Age of Empires 4. So finally, an update on that from developer World was it World's Edge. Next, from Windows Central, a list of gaming events for 2021 continues to grow as Square Enix has announced a Square Enix Presents digital showcase series. The first Presents uh, will be held on March 18th, so the day this podcast goes live, at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and will be streamed on Twitch and YouTube. The show will be about 40 minutes long and include the reveal of the next Life is Strange game, which will feature an all-new protagonist wielding an exciting new power. Other things to be included in the show include new looks at Balan Wonderland from the old Sonic developer. People Can Fly's upcoming shooter Outriders and Marvel's Avengers as well as more. They're also rumored to be re-releasing some old Tomb Raider games apparently. So we'll find out about that by next week's episode for sure. And then our penalt uh, we got three more quick ones. The Grounded team has announced um, the their first public test servers in the next week to test the upcoming March content update. Once that drops Everyone should be able to get in on it by the end of March. The update includes public test servers opening back up early next week, photo mode, an ability to pick up arrows and by running over them, and drinking dirty water will make you sick if you drink it. Those are literally the updates. And then next, IGN reports Activision Blizzard have report have reportedly laid off over about 190 employees, including 50 employees from the company's esports division. Bloomberg Bloomberg reports the layoffs affected less than 2% of the company's employees. 2% translates to roughly 190 employees. 50 of those employees worked in Activision's EA Sports or esports division. Uh, U.S. workers laid off will receive a minimum of 90 days to uh, of severance and healthcare benefits for up to a year, according to Bloomberg. Each employee laid off was given $200 in gift cards to BattleNet. Battle.net, which is the company's online video game storefront. So that is a massive slap across the face. The severance package seemed pretty decent, although layoffs are never fun or a good thing, especially when you're a company like Activision Blizzard that's just making shit tons of money and is making like having record breaking record breaking years. So fuck you for laying people off in a situation like that. But also really don't slap these now unemployed people off. Don't slap these people in the face by giving them a stupid fucking Battle.net card. And finally, Wizards of the Coast has announced that Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance will be released on Series X, S, and Xbox One, as well as PC on June 22nd, 2021. That's going to do it for all of our news, guys, this week. Now we are going to jump into our wrap-up topics of the show. You guys know what's next. New game releases this week. As pulled from Xbox Wire, where I will read the name of the game, the release date, and judge exactly what it is based off nothing more than a screenshot out of context. We have 17 new titles, starting with 
Madon, which is a sketch art horror game. Then we've got RBI Baseball 21 coming out March 16th. Even though it is opti- optimized for new consoles, you don't want to play this shit because MLB The Show is coming to Xbox. And then we got Stubbs the Zombie Rebel Without a Pulse coming out March 16th. So you can play that now. It's on Xbox Series X, which is funny because it's an old Xbox game made in the Halo engine, apparently, which is all anyone ever says about that game. Audios comes March 17th and is Xbox One X enhanced. So good for you guys who still have a One X because those things are hard to get now. Uh, Beach Buggy Racing 2 Island Adventure actually looks pretty cool. It's out now. Uh, Dungeon Defenders Awakening is out now. It looks like some weird kind of like a cart Hearthstone looking, not Hearthstone, but what's that? The League of Legends Smite. That's it, Smite. Rays of Light comes out March 17th. Looks pretty pretty. It looks like a girl holding a pipe uh, next to this abandoned parking structure in an overgrown post-apocalyptic world. So maybe it's a Last of Us sequel. Chess Knight's Viking Lands comes out March 18th, so you can play chess on your Xbox. Ex- Explosionade DX comes out March 18th, and it's an indie game with 8-bit style. Space Otter Charlie comes out March 18th, and it has a little Space Otter, so I'll give an excuse for being an indie game. Angry Video Game Nerd 1 and 2 Deluxe comes out March 19th, and God, does that look like one Angry Video Game Nerd. And then Can't Drive This comes out March 19th and looks like a pretty fun um, racing game with monster trucks, so I actually might look into that because it looks pretty cool and then Cryptop by Paugi comes out March 19th we won't even that's literally just a, a looks like someone's shopping receipt so I don't know what to say about that Gangsta Paradise is a brawler beat-em-up police violence game where you get to kill the cops and then Signs of Sojourner uh it looks like one of those like like DeviantArt things with the PlayStation controller Space Robinson is a 3DS game, I think. Sumatra, Fate of Yandi comes March 19th. Is it optimized for the new consoles? Uh, but I don't know how the fuck it's optimized for the new consoles because it literally looks like an Intellivision game, but here we are anyway. And then, guys, as a reminder, your games with gold for the month, you got Warface Breakout for the whole month, and then you got Vicious Attack Llama Apocalypse until April 15th. You've already missed out on Metal Slug 3. And make sure you get Port Royal 3 while it's available until March 31st. And that is going to do it for our whole podcast this week, guys. Here we are at the hour and 45 minute mark. And all that's left to really say now as I sit here with my super sore arm and knowing that it's 9 o'clock and I got to get to editing this shit is, you know, when when you're all alone and you're in the drive-thru and you're sitting there with nothing but the radio to keep you company and a couple of quesalupas in a Taco Bell bag that you just picked up, I want you to know that no matter how dark things get, you can always PepsiCo is life. Or, uh, sorry, let me try again. No matter how dark things get, I want to help give you the light to, I'm going to Disney World. See, guys, I don't know how to make this work. Fuck it. All right, guys, just power your dreams.